When we turn to our neighbor, tell him Happy Canada Day. I, I would sing the Canadian anthem here, but I don't think most of us know French, right? What do we, no, it's, most of it's in French, isn't it? It's like, no? Oh, Canada. And then isn't it French from there? Oh, it's in English? All right. I just feel like the Star Spangled Banner coming on right now. We're just a few days away from uh, 4th of July. You know, let me tell you something right now. For the kingdom of God, I have sacrificed a celebration of the 4th of July since 1997. Summer of 1997 was the last time I saw fireworks for the 4th of July. The reason why I couldn't celebrate ever since then was because every summer I gave uh, my summer to the Lord for summer mission projects. So I was always in Kazakhstan. I was in China. You know, I was in all these different missions countries. And then then since then I moved to Korea. So I never got to celebrate the 4th of July since 1997. I really miss it. Man. But anyway, (laughs) if you want some fireworks, you just go down to um, Everland. Everland has fireworks every day. All right, turn with me to John chapter 10. Today I'm going to take a pause from the uh, sermon series on sonship. I'm going to be sharing with you a powerful revelation. comes from John chapter 10. And before we read the scripture passage, oh, by the way, today I am blessing you once again to clap at 35 minutes. So when Matthew Walker holds up the sign... Uh, everyone start clapping and that is going to force me to close up my message and therefore I will stick, be faithful to my commitment to a 35 minute sermon. All right. For newcomers, all right, this is just something that I've been doing for the last few weeks. Just join in. Uh, don't feel guilty. All right. Before we read this passage, I'm going to show you a little video. Uh, media team, you ready to go? All right. I'll show you a little video. It's a good video. Watch the video. As the seconds tick away at the Super Bowl, work is just beginning for the winners. I didn't make it. There are hats and shirts to don. Uncomfortable man hugs to dole out. And post-game platitudes to recite. Let your actions on the field do the talking. Never been more proud of a group of guys. And you got something that no one will ever be able to take away from you. No saying is more vague and perplexing than they can never take it away. World champs, baby. That's something they can't never take away from us. They can't take that from us. They can't ever take that from us. Who are they? And what is the it that they're trying to take? And why would they want to take it? We'll start by analyzing the it. 
You know what the it is. Great job. Is it the hats and t-shirts? No, I don't want it. T-shirts are nice, but diamonds are a girl's best friend, baby. It has to be the ring, the piece of jewelry all players crave. It's worth 70000 And a big ring! Big, fat, juicy ring. What about what? Five diamonds, baby. <laughs> you can never take this away from us. This is something that... So many guys have worked so hard for, sacrificed so many things, family, kids, just so many things in their life. We did it! We did it! It's not the ring itself. I think the ring's symbolic of something. It's a bond uh, between a group of players that came together and won the thing that everybody else in our league is trying to get. World champs! You start to really think about it. It's something that, that's set in stone. 20 years from now, they can never take that away from you. As for who they are... I think they embodies anybody who has ever said anything critical about a player. It's a guy that wrote something. It's a guy in the street. It's a guy on the radio. You know, it's your Uncle Bill that's, a, that's a, been a longtime Cowboy fan. Just sick, you're sick of hearing from him. You know, it's just, it's everybody. Nobody believed in us. We did. We believed in us. So if they are all the doubters, and it is the feeling of winning a Super Bowl, the only question remaining is, why would they want to take it? It's a defensive-sounding phrase uh, because you are of the mindset that maybe, you know, you didn't deserve to, to win this thing. I think you're trying to build this us against them theme. You know, they're the people that say you can't win and you're not going to win the championship. And once you're hugging the Vince Lombardi trophy, no one is going to be able to take it away from you. Whether deserving or not, the statement rings true. They can never take it away. Players and coaches should be thankful they play football. To date, no Lombardi trophy has ever been taken away from a team. Thus, the saying lives on. To set yourself apart and put yourself in that type of history is something special, and it's something they can't ever take away from you. As long as you live, once you've won a championship, they can never take that championship away from you. I don't care what nobody ever says, man. They can never take that moment away. Super Bowl champion turned broadcaster John Madden is one of the adage's biggest fans. George Seifert in his first year, and they can never take it away. We were Super Bowl champion, and they can never take it away from you. You'll always have that feeling. They'll never take it away from you. That's the greatest feeling in the world. They never take it away from you. Madden has even taken the phrase to the Hall of Fame. I was coming over here and I said, they can't take this away, can they? I mean, they can't say, we're kidding. We want it back. You can't. You don't fly to Hawaii. You can't. But perhaps the shining moment for they can never take it away was provided by quarterback Steve Young. It's the greatest feeling in the world, is it not? So suddenly you have the Super Bowl trophy in your hand. What is someone going to say? Who are they? What are they going to say? What are you? You can't touch this. What are you going to say? Uh, he can't. What? What are you going to do? 
I'm a Super Bowl champion. Just sit down and relax. Hey, I share this with every one of you guys. And no one can ever, ever take it away from us. Ever. All right. All right, very good. I hope you guys enjoy that. Uh, look with me to John chapter 10, verse 14 through 18. And read along with me in your Bible. It says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. But I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. And I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. Amen. Uh, This past two weeks, I've been taking an intensive course called Wealth and Poverty in Christian Traditions. Uh, It's been a very uh, insightful course. I've learned a lot. I've been reading a lot. My professor, uh, she's from Westmont out in California, and uh, she's an excellent teacher, Professor Helen Ree. And I learned so much through this class. And one thing that I learned through one of my readings was Martin Luther, the great reformer, he had four ways of thinking of uh, exchanging goods. He said, for a Christian... There are four ways in which we should think about exchanging goods. I'll point them out for you. Number one, first one he said was, let people rob or steal our property. Okay? Before you make any judgments, just listen to the whole thing. Okay? So the first way that Christians can exchange goods is by letting people steal from us. Second, he said, give freely to anyone who needs it. Okay? It's another way in which we would part with our Money, part with our property, whatever, exchanging goods. Third, lend, let somebody borrow with an assumption that if it is not returned, it simply becomes a gift. Isn't that interesting? Martin Luther, as he's trying to bring reformation to the Catholic Church, uh, he saw this as the third way of exchanging goods. And number four, uh, buying and selling is the last way of exchanging goods. Now, after pointing out these four ways for the Christian to exchange goods, he said that although this is the Christian way to exchange goods, since not everyone acts as a good Christian, and also there are a lot of people who are not Christian, he said that we need the government to make laws and execute these laws that will compel and constrain the wicked to refrain from theft. Okay, I need that off because it's going to blow my pages. All right, and so this is what he said. Quote, Martin Luther said, uh, The establishment of laws is necessary in order that the world may not become a desert. Peace vanish, and men's trade and society will be utterly destroyed. All of which would happen if we were trying to rule the world according to the gospel, rather than driving and compelling the wicked by laws and the use of force to do and to allow what is right. Everybody with me on this? Okay. I lost a lot of (laughs) y'all. So check this out. Martin Luther pointed out these four ways that Christians should think about uh, exchanging goods. 
And then he said, because the world's not going to follow these four ways, we need laws. And those laws are there to protect people's property. The laws are there to make sure that people are not being continually uh, wronged. Then the world, entire world will just go to anarchy is what he's saying. Okay? So he had this view of the law as uh, the, the moral laws of God being put into government would help to constrain the world and ca- cause the world to be a safe place where you can do buying and selling. Okay. Now, this, uh, he, uh, he said that the state ought to compel people to repay what they have borrowed. But in the worst case scenario, if they refuse to repay, or if the state gets lazy about executing the laws, the best attitude that we as Christians can take on is to tolerate the robbery. Martin Luther says, other options are not available to us. For example, picking up a bat and going and making the other person pay for what they owe you. Uh, Any form of revenge is out of the question. It is eliminated clearly in the word of God. So you got to turn to your neighbor and tell them revenge is out of the question. Let it go. Revenge is out of the question. Now, when I read this, when I read this essay by Martin Luther, it made me think about a recent sermon that Pastor Benjamin preached. And in it, um, he was saying that as Christians, when we walk blameless before God, no one can take anything from us. No one, as Christians, no one can take anything from us. Even when it looks like someone is stealing from us, wronging us, we ought not to get stressed out about it and dwell upon our loss because with God, there is no loss. I mean, think about it. When God looks down, on your situation. Does God panic when somebody steals something from you? You know, God owns it all. With God, there is never a loss. So when we are in Christ, we have to also have the mentality that there is no loss for us. God is the owner of all things on the earth. Scripture says the silver and the gold belong to God. The cattle on a thousand hills, they all belong to him. The wealth of the wicked belongs to God. The property of the righteous, it all belongs to God. So actually in the Old Testament, God has specific laws that put a limit on private property rights. For example, if you are the owner of land, God had in his law prescribed certain limits upon your ability to use the land for whatever you want. So, for example, if you are a farmer and you own this big acre of land and you are harvesting apples, right? Uh, God required that a portion of the field not be harvested. On top of that, God required that your harvesters go through the field only once. And so if the harvesters, like, drop a few apples or forgot to pick a few apples, they were not allowed to go through it and make sure they got all the apples. They had to leave the rest. For who? Okay, if you read the book of Ruth, is a real clear example there. 
it was a gleaning law there to provide for people who were vulnerable, people who couldn't have no societal way to make an income, namely the widows and the orphans. And it would also include people who may be handicapped and can't work and stuff like that. Right? And so God had certain limits upon our property rights. Now, in this side of the Industrial Revolution, we've kind of forgotten and forsaken and believed that these laws no longer apply to us. And in one sense, it doesn't. Because it was to an agricultural economy. We don't have an agricultural economy. Right? How many of you in here, you pick apples for a living? Anybody in here, you, 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 you uh, have a kennip farm or something? I don't know. Like most of us, we don't, we don't make our money from agriculture, do we? But back then there was, and so these laws were in a context of applicable to an agricultural economy. Although the law doesn't apply to us, I still believe the spirit of it does. And it's a shame that in modern Christianity... We have not honored the spirit, the heart behind why God even gave those laws to the Israelites in the first place. And so I will preach on that later. But today, that's not what my message is about. So let me focus on my message. (laughs) Scripture says that he owns everything. That means that people cannot take anything from us. We ought to see situations where we feel like we are wronged. If we have exhausted all our options to try to get that back, at the end of the day, we got to learn how to let it go, lay it down, and rather than feeling like I've been stolen from, give it as a gift or an offering. You know, growing up in an urban environment where... I was robbed. How many of you got actually robbed on the street? You were walking on the street. You got robbed. Okay. Janae from South Africa. is the only one raising her hand. All right. Uh, David Gellman. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I got, I got robbed several times, man. I got robbed in high school. I got robbed in middle school. I mean, and plus, like, at my elementary school, I was constantly getting robbed. I mean, you live in the inner city. Theft is a way of life. Now, I never... Actually, no, that's wrong. In my whole life, I can think of two clear instances where I stole something. One was I stole my dad's money because I was saving up for a Nintendo game. But I took like $20 at a time. And he didn't, he didn't, he didn't notice. He never noticed. But I used to put, hide it under my mattress. One day, my mom was cleaning out my room. And I came into not my room and she was holding the money. And, and the meme, the, um, the rod in the other hand. And I just, I just started crying. <laughs> and then the second time was I, I didn't steal directly, but my friend was breaking a bike, bike lock. And there were like three bikes attached to it. And he broke the lock. And then he was like, I'm taking the best bike. Which, which one of y'all knuckleheads wants to take the other bikes? And I was like, man... Ah, man, if I just leave this bike here, somebody else is going to steal it. <laughs> so might as well take it. Anyway, I, the Lord taught me a lesson the next week. Because when I was riding that bike, I was like just riding it. And I was taking this turn. And the bike all of a sudden gave way. And then I got all scraped up on my elbow. And, and my head hit the ground. And, and then I was just down there like, Wah! 
I was like crying for like 30 minutes. Felt like an idiot. The whole time, I just felt like the, the conviction of the Lord. That bike is not yours. I still have a scar on my elbow from that time. Anyway. Anyway, man, what are again? Let me get focused. Growing up in an urban environment where I was robbed and I constantly heard stories of my Korean-American friends and family getting robbed. There was always stories of people getting burglarized. People would get burglarized while they were watching TV. They, people would come in and tie them up and burglarize them. Um, and so because I grew up in this environment, I've come to have a particular burning anger Whenever I feel like somebody has taken something from me. So my wife knows these stories fully well. Whenever I buy something and I want to return it. Now in America, all you got to do is read the return policy. You follow it and America is all about customer service, right? They generally will honor the return policy and give you what you need to get. But here in Korea... Up until like the 90s, there was no return policy. There like, there's no refund policy concept here, right? And so once you wore it, once you take it out of the store, it's yours. If you change your mind, you can't bring it back. Now, a lot of Western uh, retail shops started coming in recently, like Zara, uh, H&M, uh, Uniqlo. You know, all these uh, stores are more westernized in the refund policies, right? But when I first came about seven years ago, it was before the Western retail shops started taking over. And I noticed some of the uh, retail stores that weren't even Korean, they had a Korean refund policy. And so I would try to return something. And then the person, the cashier register will say, well, uh, our return policy is seven days. And today is the eighth day. And I will be like, well, where is that written? Show me on the receipt where it's written. And then they will be like, well, uh, it's written in the back room on the wall. I'm like, what? What kind of... Let me talk to your manager. And they were like, what? They didn't know what to do with that. Like, talk to a man. What? And then I was like, let me talk to the person in charge. And the person in charge came out and told me the same thing. All right, this was an Adidas store. And let me tell you something right now. I bought a beanie at Adidas. I changed my mind. I want to return it. All right. Anyway, the manager told me, nope, you can't return it either. So I said, I'm going to return this thing. And you will give me my money. And I just got infuriated. I made a, I was all stressed out during the week, everything. But you know what? I wrote a letter to Adidas corporate offices. They gave me a phone call back and said, go back to the same store. You'll get your money. Okay. Now, I used to work in retail. All right. So I know how customer service works. Right. Most people give up. All right. But people who know how to do customer service and people who know uh, who, who have companies that honor that, you know how to get, get, get what you need. But anyway, there, um, I had some other instances where I didn't quite get what I felt was justly mine. So during those times, I had this burning anger. It reminded me of my childhood. <laughs> Whenever I get robbed, I hate it when people take something from me. Maybe this is rooted with my road rage as well. I don't even care. I don't own the road. But if they take my lane, if they take my spot. Okay, so there's this burning anger I deal with. Now, when I heard Pastor Benjamin's message, it started to kind of bring peace to my soul and challenge me to think differently. And then when I read this article by Martin Luther, 
Man, I was really challenged even more about the same concept. If I really think about it, my soul finds great comfort in seeing loss, not as just something that's uh, a wrong that's been done to me, but if I choose to see loss as a gift or as an offering, I feel like that, that concept, it just brings me a lot of comfort. It's something that I would be willing to do. It's a better option rather than trying to seek revenge or getting all just about not getting your refund. Getting all upset about not getting your refund. Matthew 5.42, Jesus said, give. Actually, you should turn there. Matthew 5.42, just so that you know that this is in the Bible. Matthew 5.42. Jesus said, give to the one who asks you, or in the ESV says, give to the one who begs from you. And do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Wow. That means if somebody comes up to me today and, and, and says, hey, I like your suit. Can I have your suit? Give to the one who asks you. And do not turn away from the one who wants to. Can I borrow your suit? I don't even know you. Right? But Jesus is giving us a radical challenge here. Now, when I first read this as a young middle schooler growing up in Philly, I just assumed that, that this was a part of the Bible that did not apply to me. <laughs> I just thought that if Jesus grew up in Philly, he would, he would retract this command, <laughs> retract this teaching. It don't make sense in the urban city. Um, so I had a hard time with this one growing up because there was so much theft all around, even in my classes, right? I told you, right? If somebody asked to borrow a pen and you lent that person a pen, you are not going to get that pen back guaranteed every single time. In fact, in Philly, the way that they rob people is they come up to you and they go, they say, can I borrow a dollar? When they say, can I borrow a dollar? They are not looking to pay you back. When they say, can I borrow a dollar? They are looking to see if you're knuckleheaded enough to pull out your wallet and pull out a dollar. And then at that instance, they can see what's in the rest of your wallet. And then they go, you know, while you're at it, give me the whole wallet. That's how they rob you in Philly. So next time somebody asks, can I borrow a dollar? Understand that you are getting robbed. In that kind of environment, man, how am I supposed to live by this? You know, give to the one who asks and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Man, personally, man, I hate it when people ask me to borrow something. I mean, I, I, mean, I don't hate it anymore. But I grew up hating it because a lot of times I had a hard time saying yes because I knew that it would be inconvenient if I ever need that item. And I forgot I let somebody borrow it, and it's not available for my use. That's pretty inconvenient. Yeah. Or, um, or I had to worry about and remember getting, to go and get it back in case the other person forgot. And I know I borrowed things, and I never returned it. <laughs> I, I have a few books that Kendra lent me like five years ago, and I still have it on my bookshelf. Every time I look at it, I go, I should return it to Kendra. <laughs> I think you actually blessed me to just keep it after a while, right? Yeah, I can't remember. 
See, see how bad I am when I'm returning stuff? And I'm just assuming that other people are going to be just as bad. So, man, I just have a hard time letting people borrow anything. But Jesus calls us to a radical generosity. How is this possible, Jesus? How can you tell us to do these things? If you actually read earlier, he says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Once again, I used to have these conversations with Jesus when I was younger. Jesus, if I turn the other cheek, I'm going to get hit on the other cheek. (laughs) What am I supposed to do with this? But Jesus calls us to this radical generosity. I just think, I mean, it's really more radical than we can ever, ever imagine. It's pretty crazy what Jesus is asking us to do here. Now, how can Jesus call us to this type of radical generosity? You know how? It's because he has called us to live the abundant life. Jesus said in John 10.10, The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I came that they may have life and life abundantly. Jesus calls us to live an abundant life. For the person that is walking with the mentality of an abundant life, there is never any lack. Everything that God calls you to do at a certain given moment, you have everything sufficient available for you to go ahead and execute it. There is never, it doesn't matter what income level you're at, if you're walking in the abundant life, there's never any lack. Actually, any mindset of lack is really a deception of the enemy. Satan wants you to think with the mentality of lack so that you will be tight-fisted with the property and possessions that God entrusts to you. But God wants you to have a mentality of abundance. A mentality of, I'm continually increasing. I'm continually, uh, even when I have momentary moments, momentary moments, even when I have moments where I might be in lack, it's a temporary thing. God is bringing me into a place of abundance, of increase, of overflow, when my cup overfloweth. And when you have that mentality, you're able to be generous, radically generous at all times. But a lot of Christians, they, they don't have that mentality. And actually, Matthew, I think you're, you're off on your time. You've got to give me five more minutes because it says t- 28 up there. All right, give me, give me 10 more minutes right now. Okay, all right, good. Okay, yeah, 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 just, just add, add it. I think they added, they forgot the video, so just add it. Okay. All right, let's go. Ahead. Now, uh, when you are in a mentality of lack, no matter what income, your level, what income level you're in, whether you have a lot of money or a little bit of money, if you have a mentality of lack, if someone steals something from you, you call it theft, and then you call yourself a victim. But you see, in Scripture, it never tells us to embrace this identity of a victim. Instead, the Bible calls us more than conquerors. Instead of seeing yourself going from poor to broke, where you're saying to yourself, I'm so poor, I can't, I can't even afford to be robbed. Right? You've got to come out of that mentality of lack and come into a mentality of abundance. Jesus, when he was being about to be crucified... Jesus 
had the mentality of abundance. He says that I lay down my life. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own choice, of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down. And I have the authority to take it up again. What I'm telling you right now is the devil can deceive and lie to you and make you think that you're a victim, victim, victim. That you're constantly not getting the refund you're supposed to get. You're not getting the paycheck you're supposed to get. You're constantly getting robbed, robbed, robbed. And Satan wants to make you think you're in a place of lack. Therefore, you stay tight-fisted with your life. It could be not just with money. It could be with a lot of things. But Jesus don't want you to think like that. Jesus wants you to think, you have the choice to lay it down. You have the authority to lay it down. And in fact, I'm giving you that authority. Choose when somebody, do not resist an evil person. Choose when an evil person even wants to wrong you. Know that in that place, you have a choice. You have the authority to actually lay it down. When you have an abundance, no one can take anything from you. You're so rich, you can give and give generously, and you don't have to get hung up on it. You don't have to worry about it. Now, make sure you know what your budget is, by the way. (laughs) Don't be reckless with your budget. But check this out, man. When you are wronged, when your cell phone company gives you some hidden charge that you didn't know nothing about, when... Calvin Klein won't issue you a refund when clearly they should. When some Christian group on college campus ministry, another college campus ministry, takes our room reservation. (laughs) Or some knucklehead cuts you off off on the street. Look, they already took your stuff. Don't let them take your joy as well. There should be not a moment where you lose your joy because there's not a moment that you shifted into a place of lack. Even if monetarily you're lower, it's just a temporary place. If you play the victim, you'll stay there. But if you understand you have the authority to lay it down and give it as a gift, like Martin Luther said, give it as an offering. Whatever you give, you give on to God, God will repay you. You cannot remain in that place of lack when you think in this way. Faith is governing all the activities going on in your life. So like Luther said, when, when, when the proper authorities, they can do no more to try to get your stuff back. In this worst case scenario, the best attitude that a Christian can take is just to tolerate the robbery and to let it go. And give it as a gift. Because revenge is not an option. And when we read the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus calls us to this type of radical generosity. But he's not calling you to this radical generosity so that you can be broke. But he calls you to this radical generosity so that you can have the abundance. That you can walk in that abundance. You know, in the uh, story of the widow and uh, Elijah in the Old Testament, Elijah comes up to this widow. It's a time of famine. This widow has a son, and they are flat broke. They got nothing left. 
they have a few, a little bit of flour and oil, and they're about to eat their last meal. You know, you get some flour and oil, you can get some good, you know, tortillas going, right? <laughs> they're about to eat their last meal, and God calls Elijah to go to the widow and to ask her for that last meal. Now, from a natural standpoint, I would look at that, uh, that situation, and I would think, if I was the widow, I would be like, Psh, you ain't getting my last meal. It's me and my son. All right, we, we, we broke. We got nothing. How could you ask us for our last meal? This is robbery. This is injustice. This is insane. What are you asking of us? Right? In the natural, it looks like she's about to get robbed by this man of God. Right? But what does the widow do? The widow, she complies. And instead of feeling like, oh, like she's all crying while, you know, Elijah's eating that meal, right? The, the Bible don't say she was, oh, eating my last meal. No, she was just like, you know, no, I'm, I give it as a gift to this man of God. I give everything. I just give it as a gift. Even, even from my place of monetary uh, poverty or lack, I give it as a gift. And what happened? God provided that widow with a miracle. Where the oil did not run out. What is that, that flow of oil that didn't run out? What, what does that symbolize? It symbolizes abundance. That even when it looks like in the natural you're getting robbed, if you will choose in that moment instead to lay it down, using your authority, lay it down as a gift, give it as an offering unto God, God will be faithful to provide an abundance. I mean, this is the better exchange that you can make. Instead of holding on to it, sometimes we got to learn to let it go. I'm going to close with this. John chapter 19, verse 10 and 11. Pontius Pilate, Jesus is before Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate says, do you refuse to speak to me? Don't you realize that I have the power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus said, you got no power over me. You have no power over me. You know, that's what we got to tell the cell phone company. That's what we got to tell our hagwan. You know, the hagwan is with withheld paychecks for five months now now don't get me wrong i'm not telling y'all to get stepped all over you should through the law like martin luther said the law is there to constrain evil right if they're just doing complete injustice to you you need to take your proper steps but after you've exhausted those steps and it's still not going anywhere then you lay it down as a gift the other option is just to let bitterness take authority over your life And that will surely rob you of everything you got. Hallelujah. So I'll close up here. Whatever God has given you, right? Whatever God has given you, no one can take it away from you.
If they do, and you've exhausted your options, choose to let it go and give it as a gift unto God. You know, really the only one that can really take it from you is God himself. That's why we sing, you give and take away, you give and take away. Here's the thing, though. If God did it, then you should sing that song. But if it's Uniqlo that won't give you a 60,000 won, you know, refund, or if it's, you know, some family member that borrowed like $15,000 and they just ran off and you can't find them. Don't sing that song. God, God didn't necessarily directly take it from you. In those cases, you got to take authority and lay it down. Lay it down. After you've exhausted all your options, lay it down and give it as a gift. Because in, 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 in everything, they can't never take it away from you. Everything God gives you, they can't never take it away. Some of us, we play the victim far too long. And when you, the Bible doesn't say God, the heaven is moved by, by, the, by the mentality of victims. Heaven gets moved by faith. You staying in that victim mentality does not help you one bit. So heed the words of Martin Luther, right? And you give it as a gift. And there's one thing that absolutely that no one can take away. And the Bible says that is the love of God. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, I don't know if some of us in here will have the honor and the privilege of being martyred. I don't know, maybe there will be some people in here that, that will have that glory of being martyred and sharing the sufferings of Christ. But even in those moments where your life is being threatened and... You know, Hindu groups or Muslim groups are threatening you and saying, we're going to take your life. You know, be, be like Jesus, be like Stephen, right? You know, Stephen, it's really interesting. If you read the gospel accounts, when Jesus got crucified, I believe Stephen as well. When Stephen was getting stoned to death, let me just, I think I'm just going to say it, right? The Bible actually says Jesus gave up his spirit. Isn't that interesting? It wasn't like, like he was, couldn't breathe anymore and he scientifically died. Uh, it says Jesus, he let out this loud yell in one of the Gospels. <sighs> and then he gave up his spirit, right? Even the way the Gospel accounts describe it, it shows that Jesus chose to lay it down. And you know what? For some of us, right, whether it's figurative or even in a real martyrdom, you know, when you're faced with that kind of situation, God calls us. They're not taking nothing from you. You're giving your life as a gift. You're laying down your life. And you're shedding your blood for my purpose and glory. You know what I mean? In every way, whatever the world can try to do to you, they can never take that away from us, whatever that is. It's like all of us have won the Super Bowl. But we were all just sitting on the bench. Jesus went out and he done, he done the whole thing for us. 
And he doesn't call us, you know, sometimes people who are on the Super Bowl teams, they all get a ring, even the bench warmers. You know that? Even people who don't even play, they get the backups, they all get a ring. Sometimes the backups, you know, they're not so proud of having a ring because they don't really play that. They don't even play in the game. But you know what? Jesus says, no shame. I won it all, and I want all of y'all to celebrate in with me. And what I've won on your behalf, ain't nobody can take that away from you. We should see that not only for our eternal life, but we should see that for everything that God gives us. Nobody can take anything away from you. There is no lack. There's only abundance and increase. All right, let's pray. I feel like there are some people in here, and uh, you identify with some of the examples that I called out today. And it's actually not small things that have happened. It's big things. Uh, Upwards of $10,000 and more. uh, Where you have been clearly wronged. For some people, they took the legal route and they, they did the lawsuits. Uh, and some of them may be coming to the end of that lawsuit or others are contemplating doing a lawsuit. But if you're in here and you have faced a great injustice where something was taken from you, I want to shift you from that mentality and show you that they can't take it from you. They can't take it from you. But you can choose to lay it down. Lay it down as an offering. Lay it down as a gift. If there's people in here, you've been monetarily wronged. There is money that is justly due to you or to your family. But some guy ran off with the money. Some guy ran off with the deposit. Some guy ran off. Or some owner of a hagwon ran off with your paychecks. And that's been eating away at you. I want you to stand up and I want you to make a choice today to shift your mentality from one of victim to one that is more than a conqueror. I'm going to give an opportunity for people like that to stand up to their feet. I just want to pray with you. If that's you, I want you to stand up. I want you to stand up. I want you to stand up.